This is What's That About? Today, we're going to talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Now, before anyone says anything, I've got a bit of a throat thing going on here, so... uh I've done some private studies. I'm pretty sure I sound approximately 20% sexier than I did before I had a cult. <laughs> Concur? Well, <laughs> I'm not, not touching that one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fine line between being sexy and just being Madge Bishop. It's, it's yeah, a yeah. very fine line. And I, I think you're on the Madge side of that line. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> I love it when I have a cold like this because I can go around the house. I kind of, this is as close as I get to sounding like a professional voiceover guy, you know, from the movies. So well, Beck gets really annoyed because I'm just going around, like she's getting in the shower. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just become incredibly more annoying than I did before. <laughs> I was about to say, you don't sound like you think you sound until you put that voice on. Yeah, yeah. Because at the moment <laughs> you're just kind of like... <laughs> you don't sound sexy or like a voiceover I didn't, guy. I didn't say I sound like one. I said I sound more like one. Because let's be well, honest, I'm auditioning for Chipmunks. The Squeakle later. The Squeakle. Yeah, yeah, normally. So, just a little bit more like. So, it's a little bit of a treat for the listener getting a very sexy Don in the ear for the duration of this episode. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> so, today we're having a look at Stockholm Syndrome. And before we begin with this topic, I was in Stockholm probably about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, mm-hmm. maybe even closer to 10 years. And I went to the Maccas there and I went to order a thick shake and they served me a pina colada thick shake from the Maccas. Ooh. It was the best thick shake I've ever had in my life. Better than chocolate? Way better than chocolate. Better than strawberry? It was smashes strawberry. Strawberry's rubbish compared to this. I'm not even going to bother with vanilla. For so <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds good. <laughs> but I think if I was taken captive or abducted by someone and they were treating me poorly, but every day they gave me a pina colada thick shake, mm. I reckon I can see how Stockholm Syndrome develops. That could be one of the factors. Absolutely has to be. Well, it didn't come up in the research, but I just think they haven't really looked hard enough. Yeah. Right. It was so delicious. So, Stockholm Syndrome. Hit us with the definition, D. Okay, so Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological phenomenon described in 1973 in which hostages express empathy and sympathy and have positive feelings towards their captors, sometimes to the point of defending and identifying with the captors. So, it's interesting because when you read about the, the definition and the description of it, it makes it sound like, you know, an established phenomenon. But it's not actually recognised. Like, the medical professions don't recognise Stockholm Syndrome as mm. a thing or as a condition. Yeah, it's yeah. not in any of the diagnostic manuals. So, that's that's kind of, I guess, the first interesting thing that pops up about Stockholm Syndrome. It's But the media bloody loves it. The yeah, me- it's because it just seems so against a normal reaction. Yes, it's, it's so unexpected. Yeah. I read this book over the um, the last little while about what what makes ideas stick in the public mind, like urban legends and that kind of stuff. 
And one of the factors they, one of the six factors they kind of reduced it to was around, is it unexpected? And I reckon that's exactly what Stockholm Syndrome is. It's like, they're abusing you and then you end up liking them. What? Like, yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, um, I don't know where that noise came from, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's and the, the nature funny, of it. Yeah. It's interesting because it can happen, obviously, in sort of traditional hostage sort of situations, but it also explains people in abusive relationships and things, why they stay with that person can sort of be explained by Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, exactly right. It's like a continuum of a very complex power dynamic relationship. And they also reckon it applies to when people join cults and follow cult leaders. And there's the kind of lots of little examples that are kind of mini examples of Stockholm Syndrome. And it's seen most clearly in hostage or kidnapping situations. One of the things that is interesting about it, because that first incident in 1973 in which this bloke robbed a bank... And there were like four bank tellers who he took hostage. Mm. He then called the police and said, I've got some hostages. I want you to release one of my mates from prison to then come and help me with this crime. And the police said, yep, all right. They went and got the guy out of prison, put him in the bank. So they had four hostages and two gunmen now. Mm. And then over the course of that negotiation, the hostages ended up siding with the criminals because they actually felt that they weren't going to be harmed by the criminals, but the police were throwing tear gas in and kind of agitating the cap the captors to the point that the hostages were like, we actually prefer the um, the captors because the police are the ones that are going to make this flare up and, and hurt us. And at the end of it, they be- some of the hostages became friends with the criminals. And then one of the psychiatrists that was kind of reviewing this case said, ah, that this is a new condition I've never seen before. Let's call it Stockholm Syndrome to explain why the hostages identified with the, with the captors. But what's really interesting is that then caught on in legal, legal circles. So from pretty much 1974 onwards, lots of defense lawyers, when people are engaged in criminal actions after being involved in kidnapping or hostage situations, cited Stockholm Syndrome as the excuse to try and legitimize the crime to get them off. So, it's kind and of interesting, the history of it. And which, legally, is that... Uh, like, I know it's not recognised medically, so I guess legally it wouldn't be either, I assume. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good question. I'm not sure about that. But, yeah, I don't know what they would point to to for an expert witness to justify their claims around the syndrome causes people to do X, Y, and Z. So, yeah, it's, it's a good question. Mm. So, another definition of Stockholm Syndrome I saw was around this strong emotional tie that develops between people when one person intermittently harasses, beats, threatens, abuses, or intimidates the other. Which I reckon that's probably how our friends on Facebook feel when we keep on promoting this podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the fact that they're hell, he's doing it again. <laughs> the fact that they're still friends with us on Facebook, eh, it's Stockholm Syndrome, I think, a little <laughs> that's bit. That's exactly it. <laughs> what I find interesting is that this is only really identified in 1973. When you look at all the... The history of violence in humans, or by humans, it's only been identified in 1973. It's very strange. It is. And, and there, I think in response to that, there are a lot of people that, be, that believe it doesn't even exist. This mm. is not a thing. And it's, it's kind of two conflicting sides of that. So, the FBI has this database of all of their hostage scenarios, what percentage experience symptoms of Stockholm Syndrome, and they reckon 8%. So, it's mm. not super common. Yeah. But That's on the pretty flip, common. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess one in, one in ten. ten probably is actually fairly yeah. common. 
And then on the flip side, when they interview people who were kidnapped or taken hostage and none of them ever identify with Stockholm Syndrome, they always kind of speak about it in terms of, I was just being compliant out of fear and I didn't run away because they told me they would harm my family. So they very rarely do they get on board with this idea of Stockholm Syndrome, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, the other sort of the reverse aspect of it is Lima syndrome, which is where the kidnappers become so concerned for their hostages that they free them without using them as bargaining chips. Yeah. So, the, yeah. This was the... I'd never... Had you heard of Lima syndrome before? No, never. Yeah. And, it, you know, it kind of makes perfect sense when you when you hear about it because the way that Stockholm syndrome is spoken about, it's like it's a, it's a one-way relationship. Yeah. I think the whole thing around Stockholm Syndrome misses the Lima Syndrome side of it too often. Yeah. So, it's quite interesting, Lima Syndrome. Mm. So, I was actually watching a movie with my son the other day, and I was watching it, and it was a Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast. That is classic classic. Stockholm. She gets captured by this beast. Somehow, she falls in love with him, and then they live happily ever after. That's Stockholm Syndrome. It should have been Stockholm Syndrome and the Beast. It's... (laughs) (laughs) It's like a have textbook missed, case. Have you missed? Have you missed the key take home there around beauty is inside, Donovan? Yeah, no, nah, it's Stockholm is inside. It's- <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, so did the beast actually kidnap beauty? Yeah, yeah. So the beast oh. kidnapped her dad, and then she turned up and said, "Hey, take me instead." So he swapped them. Treats her rubbish. Can't see any of her family. Can't see any of her friends. Just leaves her in this tower on her own. Next thing you know, she's in love with him and getting married. That's bloody Stockholm. This is Stockholm and the Beast. It's <laughs> well called. I never thought about that. Yeah, I was watching it and going, "Oh, this is this is crazy." <laughs> um, but the music was delightful. So it's, it's uh, a good score that one. When yeah, the candlestick breaks into a little tune, it's good. oh yeah. <laughs> G- give me a singing candlestick, and I'm happy, man. <laughs> the I guess one of the, the things that they, they they do struggle to explain why Stockholm syndrome happens. Like they've kind of They've got the criteria for it to develop. But all they've really got as an explanation is it's essentially a survival mechanism where if you can form a relationship with the person that's trying to hurt you, that's your best chance of survival. So you almost need to try and identify with them and win them over. And you win them over by essentially becoming to like them. And then that is your best chance of safety. Will you say evolution would be a factor in this? <laughs> Let's chuck an E in there. Evolution. Well, we haven't mentioned it this episode, so we probably do need to. I think evolution. And then you haven't mentioned placebo yet either. So let's chuck that in. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if the Stockholm syndrome was actually a placebo effect. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in looking up Stockholm syndrome... It's interesting how many other kind of bizarre and unusual syndromes turn up. Mm. What, what did you come across? Alien hand syndrome is a condition which involves a rogue hand that acts independently, grasping objects in a way contrary to what the individual wishes to do. That would be so much fun. <laughs> that could get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> little, uh, little buttock squeeze. Sorry, it's the hand. He's got a mind of its own. He's always doing that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He's like a cheeky little scallywag. Ah, oh, left hand, you cheeky monkey. <laughs> I reckon I'd dress the hand up with like a little glove to give it some character. So it's kind of feels more separate to me. A little bow tie around the wrist. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
You've, you've named a couple of good syndromes, but here is the best syndrome. Okay, go for it. Genital retraction syndrome. That was my, that was my next one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is also called Coro syndrome. Yeah. It's a syndrome specific to Southeast Asian countries where a person suffers an acute anxiety over a, a fear that their penis is shrinking and retracting into their body. Mm-hmm. Until it disappears, and when it disappears, they will die. Oh, really? That's a little stinger on the tail there. That would be frightening. Yeah. That would be frightening. In Asia and Africa, this has been also been called the penis panics. The so, penis panics. Let's <laughs> be honest, who hasn't suffered from a mild case of the old penis panics? <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'm calling in sick to work, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Sometimes when I get out of the pool, I do have a little bit of uh, Coro syndrome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else you got? Well, the the one that's not interesting, but the one I think that is really pervasive is the old imposter syndrome. Mm. The idea that people think they're... Usually, it's related to their work, that they're a fraud in what they're doing and they're going to get found out one day as kind of not, not knowing anything. Very pervasive. I've got a very good dose of this. Yeah. It is hilarious how much I have this to the point that one day I was walking around at lunchtime going, no, I'm not good at this job. I might go try to do a different job, go go work somewhere else. Come back from lunch, got offered a promotion. (laughs) Yeah. It's just... (laughs) It's bloody imposter syndrome. Yeah. I'm fooling them. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got for crazy syndromes. Yourself? Yeah, that's it for me as well. So that's the uh, that's the syndrome episode. See you guys. Catch up.